Thank you, Chris. Thanks for serving us so well this morning. It's a, I mean, unique opportunity for us to sing together, as Chris said at the start, and uh, just a blessing as a part of this day. We'll take your Bibles and open first to Proverbs chapter 24. Proverbs chapter 24. As Adam said in the first session, act like men, protect and provide and the paradigm for a man's responsibilities and we're going to devote the next two sessions to looking at this from both the spiritual aspect of protection and provision that we're required to, to pursue and also the physical side. And it's fallen to me to address the notion of our responsibility, the mandate for men to faithfully provide spiritual protection and provision in the church, in the home. I wanna start in a unique place. Proverbs chapter 24, beginning in verse 30. Solomon writes, I passed by the field of the sluggard and by the vineyard of the man lacking sense. And behold, it was completely overgrown with thistles. Its surface was covered with nettles and its stone wall was broken down. When I saw, I reflected upon it. I looked and received instruction. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, then your poverty will come as a robber and your want like an armed man. There's a spiritual application from this lesson of wisdom. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest in the context of spiritual laziness. And we see the outcome in that illustration application, which would be the surprising devastation of spiritual ruin. The vineyard must be tended. The vineyard must be protected. Laziness and a lack of awareness or a lack of sense in this proverb results in, in ruin, an overgrown vineyard, an unprotected vineyard. My aim this morning in our, really this brief exhortation is to encourage you toward awareness of your responsibility as a man to spiritually provide and spiritually protect the spiritual vineyards of the church and your family. And to encourage you as an overflow of that awareness to take initiative, to take initiative and do this. Look, we could do 12 ways to spiritually provide for your wife or something. That's not what we're gonna do this morning. That would be valuable. 12 ways to spiritually provide for the church, but that, that's not gonna be focused. I simply want to impress upon you that we must be aware and we must take initiative as men. To use the illustration from Proverbs 24, we want to take stock to imagine the overgrown vineyard, the unprotected vineyard. Imagine what it would look like if we're lazy and we lack sense or lack awareness and take heed and be instructed. To be unaware, to lack sense, the, the, the sluggard here, the man lacking sense as well, he had two strikes against him in this proverb. Right? He had failed to protect and to provide and didn't take initiative. When we say protection, what's protection require? Well, as Adam pointed out earlier, courage. He had watchfulness. He's gonna talk more about that in the physical sense, but courage and watchfulness applies to spiritual protection as well. Think of provision. What are the, the things that need to be in us as men as we act on providing? It takes diligence to provide, whether physically or spiritually. It's a service. And in the same way that we talk about physical nourishment as something that needs to be provided, spiritual nourishment needs to be provided. And men are to be the primary providers of that. There's physical protection against physical threats. Similarly, 
we're called to protect against spiritual threats, spiritual threats to the church, spiritual threats to our families, to our brothers and sisters. Men are called to provide and protect the vineyard, as we said. So first, what I want to do briefly is just simply just give a brief survey of the proof of this responsibility to protect and provide. And I want to do that by just looking in general, just the reminders that we must provide and protect spiritually. God has not ordained the church. He's not ordained the outworking of salvation where these things happen automatically. We tend to have a very individualistic view of the Christian life. It's about me. It's about my quiet time. It's about how I'm doing. That is not how the Lord has ordered his, his program, right? That's not how he's bringing about salvation. It's happening in the church. It's happening with others. It's happening through teaching and discipleship and instruction. Those are all means of provision and protection, spiritually speaking. So in general, just to start, and this is a story, this is not exhaustive in any way, shape, or form. Deuteronomy chapter six, right? Famously, the Shema, right? And we find Moses there after saying, hero Israel, right? And all that he says there, he addresses the people on the plains of Moab as they're preparing to make their way after a long wait into the promised land. And he's calling Israel to live with this absolute heartfelt allegiance to him. They're to love the one true God with all that they are. He's to have priority in everything. It's devotion. It's not simply external conformity to the law. And throughout the book of Deuteronomy, he reminds the people over and over again that their ability to reap the covenantal blessings that he's promised that they're finally going to enjoy depends on them keeping the law, not merely in this generation, but in subsequent generations, which requires teaching and instruction. He says over and over again, you must listen to the statutes and the judgments, which I am teaching you, chapter four. Keep and do them, chapter four, verse six. Chapter eight, if you don't remember the word of the Lord and you forget him, he'll testify against you and you'll perish. Chapter 10, what does he require? You obey. Chapter 11, you shall therefore keep every commandment. He goes on and on and on. But after calling forth this obedience, interestingly, in Deuteronomy, as you work through that, he immediately impresses upon the people how important it is that they teach the next generation to do the very things that he was calling them to do. And we sometimes use this as like a justification for homeschooling or something. Like, and... Deuteronomy 6 is about the next generation of God's people, not simply your family. He's saying, you need to come into the land and you're going to inherit the land. You need to teach the next generation, your children. And one day your sons and grandsons are going to ask you, why? Why do we do this? And he says, because of the mighty works of the Lord, because of his deliverance. Chapter four, he says, right? You need to teach your children, that generation. Chapter four, verse nine, you need to make these things known to your sons and your grandsons. Discipleship was to be a priority for the people as they entered the land. Why? Because without it, they would never reap the covenant blessings. The vineyard would be ruined. The first generation would die. The next generation would forfeit in disobedience. They wouldn't even know the Lord. They wouldn't know instructions. Like All this is very obvious, right? But you see the demand to provide spiritually for the next generation. God didn't just say, well, you know, I'll be in your midst and I'll just take care of it for you. No, he said, they're going to learn of me by hearing from you. You must teach, you must disciple. We see that in the Great Commission, right? What's the Great Commission? Make disciples, 
baptizing and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. Again, we're hearing about life with the spirit of God. God could have zapped all of us with all the knowledge that we need to have of him, with all the knowledge of his word and dwell by the spirit, but he didn't. His ordained means of bringing about mature disciples is what? Teaching and instruction. Spiritual provision, spiritual protection is inherent in what we do when we make disciples. Adam drew our attention earlier to David telling the king that he needed to know the law. Why? Just for his own sake? No, he's leading the nation. He was leading the nation in following the law. He would provide and protect the nation insofar as he communicated the truth of God's word and ruled in accordance with it. You see this in Ephesians 4, the gifts of the teachers to the church. You see this in Colossians 3, 16, where everyone is to be involved in teaching and admonishing as the word of Christ dwells richly in y'all in the church. This says, it's inherent in the shepherding picture for church leaders in 1 Peter 5. The, the idea that leaders are shepherds implies provision and protection. That's a shepherd's job for his sheep. You provide for the sheep and you protect the sheep. Think of 2 Timothy 2. These things which you've received from me, entrust them to other faithful men who will be able to do what? To teach others. Why? Because without it, the vineyard will be ruined. The vineyard won't be protected. It won't be nourished. There won't be growth. God has mandated that the word be passed along that spiritual provision be provided by one generation to the next. That's a part of his plan. It's a part of how he goes. And then he is uniquely given this charge to man, to men, uniquely. Men uniquely bear the primary responsibility to provide and protect spiritually the church and their families. Just a couple examples. First, I wanna give you a quote from a woman named Jen Wilkin who identifies as a complementarian. I have questions about that. But she says this when talking about her work of writing. She says, I'm not sure men write for both sexes in terms of Bible teaching, commentaries, exposition. She says, I suspect women readers learn to filter the prevalent male perspective out of necessity. So clearly in that sentence, the problem is the male perspective, which is interesting, right? Because apostles, through whose teaching and heralding of the gospel the church was established, aren't just happen to be men. God chose men to carry that task forth. The elders that are to lead in teaching and guarding the church are men. That role is limited to men. The church is to receive teaching and instruction, spiritual provision and protection from men. That's primary. And the perspective that uh, Wilkin sets forth is becoming more and more prevalent. But God himself ordained that men lead and primarily carry out this task. Second Timothy 2.15, you know, well, I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, right? I don't think you need to be reminded what that means. Right, but let me tell you, it means that a woman is not to exercise authority, teach a man, right? In that sense, you understand? She's not to be a leader in the church, right? She's not to be the primary equipper of your family. 
that verse is talking specifically about the church, but there is an order. Look at 1 Corinthians 14, briefly. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And a truly infamous text. Chapter 14, verse 34. The women are to keep silent in the churches. They are not permitted to speak, but are subject themselves, just as the law also says. If they desire to learn anything, let them ask their own husbands at home. For it is improper for a woman to speak in the church. Yikes. What does that mean? Well, it can't mean all speech is forbidden. Because just earlier in 1 Corinthians, he tells women that they're to pray and to prophesy, provided that it was done in the proper order, that it was done in a way that's keeping with the creation order that he talks about in 1 Corinthians 11 when he says that men are the head of their wives. Here, he's dealing again with what would be shameful, right? What would be confusion, that's the whole context of 1 Corinthians 14. So what is he saying there? Well, the likely situation was that prophecies were given at that point in time in the church and that women were asking questions of the prophecy of the, of the prophet, asking questions of the interpreter of the prophet in a way that was disorderly. So Paul says, no, there's an order here. And the order is you need to learn from your husband. There's a lot of applications from that and implications, but what for our purposes was to say that there's a primacy to male leadership in providing spiritual instruction. And it starts in the home if you're married, right? Paul doesn't say, go and ask the teachers and the prophets just in a gentler way. He says, go ask your husbands. And again, this is not forbidding the speaking of women in church. That's, that people have taken that view. It's a sad distortion of this text. It doesn't mean that a woman is to be silent when she's in the atrium, when she's around other women. We have women at MRBC teaching in children's Sunday school, all of those things. The point here is that there is an order for spiritual provision. And the order is that men are given that responsibility, in this case, husbands. So we ask, does your wife look to you first, men? Are you aware that she should be? She should be looking to you to ask those questions, which raises the question for us. Are we the type of men who can be asked those questions, right? Single men, are you preparing yourself to be that kind of a man? Now, important clarifications briefly. This is not about intellectual ability. I know many of us would say, well, my wife is smarter than me. This is not about Bible knowledge. Your wife may know more of scripture than you. That's okay. This is about leadership. And retorts such as she's smarter than me, she's more well-read than me, she's more mature than me, reads her Bible more than me. Do not remove you from under the burden of, of the spiritual oversight that you have before the Lord for your family. And in a similar vein, it doesn't remove the elders of this church and the men that are leading in this church from that burden either for women who are well-educated and well-equipped and blessings to this body. Do women teach? Yes. We already noted early, in the early church, women prophesy. Titus 2 says women are to teach younger women. Paul gives uh, honor to Eunice and Lois for what they did in Timothy's young life. I hope all of us have the testimony of having mothers and women in our lives that taught. 
but men bear the responsibility for the patterns of life in the church and the home when it comes to spiritual provision and protection. So how do we think through this without getting bogged down in the mire of really what the scriptures say is very clear, people's reflections on it confound and confuse because we have people who say that they believe that there is order and leadership and submission in the church, but also that they believe that a male perspective of what God's word teaches is a problem, all right? So how can we just clear all of that and think about the basics of our responsibility? Look, provide for, instruction, encouragement, give your family a church home, give them guidance, protection, what does that mean? Protect against heresies, protect against known temptations, protect against destructive sin patterns, protect against worldly influence. What does that look like in church life? What's an application of this mandate? Well, one is that a man, all of us need to see to it that we are learning from church leaders and other brothers and that we're providing and protecting others as we grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ. And this responsibility to be a man who, who must spiritually provide and protect, that applies in this room as we look toward one another as men, as brothers protecting Mission Road Bible Church in home life. A man sees to it that his family prays, that his family knows scripture, that you can discuss God's perspective about anything and everything at any time. What's that mean? It means you cultivate an atmosphere of spiritual conversation. That's how you can do that. And one note on how this should be done just before we ask some challenging questions. What's the right way to do what I'm saying? You think maybe you're out there and you're thinking of applications. How do I spiritually provide? Do I go home and start preaching sermons to my wife? Do I ask her to sit down and I'm gonna open up God's word for 50 minutes and, and, and get after this? No. I just ask, how would you respond if I came to you today? And I said, delete your social media. I'm concerned about you. And I said it just like that. And you said, what are you, what are you talking about? Why are you asking me to do this? I said, I'm your spiritual protector. I'm an elder in the church. You're to submit and obey your leaders and rulers. That's Hebrews 13, 7, Hebrews 13, 17. Like, come on, right? Do you, would you respond well to me if I did that? Would you respond well to me if I asked you to submit a reading list, a book list? Before you hit buy, I want to know everything you're about to purchase. No, it wouldn't go well, but yet I have a mandate to provide and protect you as an elder in this church. But there's a right way to do that. Same thing at home, men. So please don't take this and, and be stirred up and, and go home and say true things, but that aren't compelling and aren't winsome and aren't loving, okay? All right, awareness and initiative. Are you aware that you're responsible for spiritual protection and provision and are you taking initiative? There's a lot of questions we can ask. Men, are you seeking to be equipped? This is for everyone. Are you a faithful man that is ready to be taught so that you may teach others also? Are you protecting, providing influence in this church body? That's an important question. Do you seek to put a stop to destructive sin in this body? Gossip, criticism, quarreling. Are you, are you a stop? Are you, a, are, are you a, nurse, a nurturing influence in this vineyard to stop those things? Do you support the ministry of God's word? Do you first put yourself under the preaching and teaching of the leadership here and then seek to encourage others to do the same? Do you know the doctrine that we as elders are seeking to uphold and shepherd with? And do you uphold it? Are you alongside others 
spurring them to love and good deeds, helping them to be more like Christ as a brother to other brothers, as a brother to sisters. Husbands and dads. The ante just goes up because of the responsibility you have. Piper, John Piper says this wonderful quote, very memorable. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden and God came to call them to account, it didn't matter that Eve had sinned first. God said, Adam, where are you? That's God's word to the family today. Adam, husband, father, where are you? If something is not working right at your house and Jesus comes knocking on the door, he may have an issue with your wife, but the first thing he's gonna say when she opens the door is, is the man of the house home? It's the way it happened in the first marriage. That's the way it will happen in your marriage. Man, are you aware of your responsibility? Are you aware that you're the man of the house and that spiritual things going on in your house are your responsibility? You do not get to say to Christ when he comes to the door and says, do you know about that Facebook post your wife wrote? Nope, I have no idea. You can ask her about that, right? No husband gets to say that without being derelict in his responsibilities. Spiritual protection and provision gets moral standards. Have you set biblical moral standards for your family in regards to attire, what's sought for entertainment, what money is spent on? Do you know the primary theological influences in your family? Do you know what books are on your wife's nightstand? Do you know what she's reading? Do you know what she's listening to? Do you know what your kids are listening to? You do not get to say, oh, she goes to a Bible study MRBC, so I'm fine. You don't get to say she listens to grace to you, so I don't really need to worry about it. Guys, that's a dereliction of duty, right? You need to know, you need to protect, you need to be aware of those influences. You need to be aware of the influences of subcultures on your kids. You need to be aware of everything, all right? Are you protecting your family against spiritual dangers and are you nourishing them in the truth? It's a huge responsibility, huge responsibility. Again, think of the sluggard and the senseless man in Proverbs 24. The tragic results of neglect are before us and you may have seen this, 10 years goes by, and one day you're awakened to an overgrown vineyard and a wall that's come crumbling down. And it came upon you like a robber in your experience, but in reality, as a result of years and years of neglect. And that's sobering. We can learn from that. We can learn from that. And the Lord provides grace not to recover those years, but to change going forward. And you start changing by being aware of your responsibility and by taking initiative, enabled by God's grace, right? If you're single, the primary avenue for this is in the church. Serve in your station faithfully, seeking to spiritually provide and protect in the relationships that the Lord has given you and the influence he's given you. If you're married and married with kids, I trust nobody in this room has a perfectly stable wall or perfectly nourished vineyard. Some may feel like the owner in Proverbs 24, and you need to start clearing weeds and rebuilding walls and God will give grace for that. And it will take a while, but you start. Ask other men that you respect and honor to help you know how to do that. Most of us likely have vineyards that are producing fruit, but we struggle from time to time to keep the weeds down. The walls are intact, but we need to apply some mortar to the loose stones, right? And we're here to help one another do that as well. Take an honest assessment of your awareness initiative 
learn from it as Solomon said he learned from the scene he saw and think about your responsibilities and start beginning to ask other men and think critically about how you can take initiative to spiritually provide and protect for the church, for your families.